the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. Last week we had an opportunity to share with uh, Pastor Harvey Drake, the pastor of Emerald City Bible Fellowship in the Rainier Valley. He's also the president of Urban Impact. And I love the story so much I asked Harvey to stick around for for sh- uh, program number two. And uh, Harvey, welcome back to Heart of the City. Good to be back with you, Chuck. Well, we'll do a little recap here of your story. Uh, Born in the San Francisco area, Mm -hmm. uh, mom and dad split up uh, when you were about seven years old. old. Your mom, a heroin addict, uh, involved in uh, in trafficking, and and five brothers and sisters? There's five siblings altogether. Five siblings. Five siblings. You were the oldest. So... Uh, just to reset uh, here a little bit about uh, your your life back then. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, grew up in a single-parent home, lived in public housing all of our lives. We were a welfare family. Didn't have a lot in terms of vision. What, what, do, you, what do you do You know, when you grow up in that kind of circumstance? We didn't see much. We were, we were stuck in kind of a one geographic location, school, go home. I, we lived eight hours from Disneyland. I was 20 years old. First time I ever went. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did I miss a lot growing up, right? Well, you mentioned something there that I think is is interesting. Um, um, and the idea of talking about a future or even having hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I've traveled uh, overseas on missions uh, trips, and, and especially in Honduras and and um, in the Dominican Republic, I, I, the, the emphasis there was oftentimes the, the the kids that were growing up in the barrios had no concept about a future and hope. That's right. And when you say that, it, it thinks it's, that's not an overseas it's, issue. That's 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 a common issue here in the U.S. where you just really had no concept of what your future or the hope would be. That's right. It's you? very local, very local. Yeah, we, you know. You know People take for granted that they have access uh, to people who have accomplished a lot. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. thought of growing up being president one day never even entered our psyche, right? Uh, when you have parents that didn't work or you didn't have parents that accomplished much, then you don't think you can accomplish very much. And so one of the biggest problems we have even in today's modern-day inner cities is the lack of hope. We always talk about the problems of people being on drugs or maybe homeless or they don't have enough income, but the re- the real issue is hope, the lack of hope. When we have hope, it fuels our ambition, it fuels our desire, it gives us a sense that, yeah, we can comp- accomplish something, we can go somewhere, we can do something, right? And we can be a blessing to others when we have this sense of, yeah, there are possibilities out there. So poverty should never be relegated to just uh, financial substance. Poverty is a lack of a- 
options, access, and opportunity. And when you give people those three things, you'll be amazed at what can actually happen in them. So a lot of our ministry today is about helping people have hope. Well, I think of Jeremiah twenty nine eighteen. Uh, yes. I I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, there to give you a future and, and a, a hope and a That's hope, right. isn't it? That He does that for us. Yeah. So for you in your life, um, your mom passed away when you were how old? I was twenty years old when my mother passed away. It was January twenty fourth, nineteen seventy six, and she had been involved in. And drugs and alcohol and yeah. prostitution for many years. For many, many years. Yeah. And uh, she uh, was was um, uh, cured at one point. Then she relapsed. And when she relapsed, it just got worse. And uh, we lost her at the ripe young age of 39. Mm. Yeah. It was really heartbreaking. Uh, the thing that sustained me, however, was my commitment at that time was to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I remember praying, praying and crying like crazy. Uh, but I said, God, you're sovereign. You're still good. I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why she was not healed in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. But you are still sovereign. And that aided me in moving forward. Of course, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who was madly in love with Jesus, too, who prayed for us, uh, prayed for our family like crazy. And uh, God has just carried me and I still have very vivid images and pictures of mom and I remember all the good stuff she was a reader she did crosswords puzzles she was a fantastic cook she was even a singer I talked about me being in all these singing groups I said man my mom had a beautiful singing voice right and all that was lost as she got caught up in the life of drugs right but you can never convince me that she did not love us you can never convince me of that. But those things have actually fueled uh, who I am today. Yeah. What I do, what I believe for, what I hope for, what I faith in God for, is all connected to what I did not have when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working today to bring hope to young people, to bring hope to families. I'm working today to help people see that when you are prepared, there are plenty of opportunities available to you, and we can point to some of those opportunities. We can point to some of the uh, images, right? We can point to the fact that this is available to you. And so uh, I'm spending a lot of time saying, hey, how do, how do we build hope in people? So your mom passes away. Yeah. You marry uh, a, a Christian girl. Yes. You eventually, uh, through Youth for Christ at that time, uh, get called up here to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we kind of left it right there in our last program as you got uh, you had a three-year plan to uh, <laughs> be in Seattle and then head out of Dodge and go back go to the promised back land. Back to the promised land, <laughs> to a real city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the city where they weren't afraid of lots of people. <laughs> I hear you. Seattle didn't like crowds in those days. Right? Well, I hear you. Yeah. And so uh, you're here and you're working with uh, Youth for Christ in the Rainier Valley. And tell me about that experience mm-hmm. and then how you ended up becoming the pastor of Emerald City. So actually, I was with Youth for Christ for five years in Oakland, California. Right. But I came to Seattle with Young Life. With Young Life. That's right. So I was their area director here in Rainier Valley in the Central District, working with Rainier Beach High, Franklin High, Cleveland, uh, and Garfield. And because of busing, we we had kids that were all over the city. So we were more or less a neighborhood outreach club. And so we were committed to trying to help young people understand who God was, how much he loved them. And uh, to get them to to come to a place of faith in Jesus. 
Now, because of what we were doing, it was good work, but there was something missing because we weren't touching the family, right? And we would talk to young men about being, uh, 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 to save themselves for marriage and things of that nature, mm-hmm. but then they would go home and find just the opposite occurring. I thought, God, what are we doing to these young people? And so what we did more from just working with young people, which a lot of social service groups do today, they kind of forget the family, the parents, let's just focus on the kid. But when you help the parent, you automatically help the kid, right? And so we got this vision for doing something a little broader, mm-hmm. right? How do we engage the whole whole family? So even our ministry now is about partnering with families and communities, right, to break the cycles of social material and spiritual poverty because it's about helping families become whole because when families are blessed, communities are blessed. When communities are blessed, then our cities are blessed. When our cities are blessed, then you, you know it, it is extrapolated out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the state is blessed and then the nation is blessed. And right now we have a problem in families, uh, the breakdown in the family. And so, so our hope is to, God, how do we help build families again? Yeah. How do we touch fathers? How do we help... Young men understand what it really means to be a man, one who not just produces babies, but one who takes care of babies, Mm -hmm. who nurtures a baby, who encourages a baby, who affirms a child, right? And that's what we need more of. I I was missing that in my life. The only thing I can honestly say my father taught me was how to drive in a 1959 T-Bird, Thunderbird. Oh, nice car. Up and down the hills of San Francisco, right? (laughs) But other than that, my my dad was a painter by trade. He could lay tile. He could do all kinds of things. He could fix cars. I never knew he could do any of that. Mm. I just knew he painted, right? Right. And so so our goal then is to, to, to bring hope to families. And so that led me from young life to what we now call urban impact. I said, God, how do we touch families? I thought I was going to do all this through young life, but right. they, they had a good thing going already with just teenagers. And so we peeled off and started our own organization in 1987. Did I say 87? Wow. That was back in the 1900s. Yeah, wasn't that it? was 30, 32, <laughs> 32 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and it was just a bet. My wife and a few of us said, okay, God, what do we do? How do, we, how do we reach people with the gospel? And we started with two primary foci. One was to, to proclaim the gospel. The other was to demonstrate the gospel. Because the church had started losing its, its relevance in its community because it stopped meeting the needs of its community. The church in the old days was at the forefront of every movement that impacted African Americans in particular. Mm-hmm. But as we kind of morphed into this other thing, we wanted to be the next big this, big that. We lost our sense of reaching people. I said, God, can we put something together that really focuses on families again, that would give people a, a, a better picture and view of who the church actually is? So when we started Urban Impact, we did not want it to be just a parachurch organization. We wanted it to be local church-based. So we hired we hired a young fella who just graduated from seminary and said, would you come join our team? We have no sending agency. We have no building. We have no parking stalls. We have no choir robes. We have nothing. But what we're going to do is we're going to do outreach, and as we reach people, we're going to bring them into this Bible study that will become Emerald City Bible Fellowship. Hmm. And that's how the two began. And we say we started Urban Impact, our Christian community development outreach arm, to set a precedent for what the church would be about. The church should be making impact in its neighborhood. We should have influence. We should not be seen as just a place that's taking up space, but rather be seen as a real partner in our 
community. And so that's what we've been doing for the past 32 years, trying to say, okay, God, how do we be a real friend and a partner to this neighborhood? How do we love this community in tangible ways? Yeah. Yeah. Right? In tangible ways. So my wife was an educator. So she came to me one day and said, we have a school that literally was being bused from the Central District to Magnolia. Parents couldn't come to teacher parent conferences. She's saying, okay, I'm in Jesus. I'm an educator. How do, we, how do I get these things to work together? She came to us and said, we're going to have our parent-teacher conferences in our neighborhood, and we need you to fix dinner. So she came to us and said, you guys are fixing dinner for us. And so we started fixing dinner for these families so they can go to teacher-parent conferences. Then she said, you know, some of these parents could be, could be encouraged in their parenting. Would you come do a parenting class? So we did some research and came up with a six-week parenting class, and we would fix a full meal for the family. We have programs for the kids, and then the parents would break into these age-appropriate uh, 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 groups. And we had people and couples in our church who would be the small group leaders. So we were trying to build relationship with people in the neighborhood. And once we did that, her principal came to us and said, would you run an after-school program for us, and we'll give you a contract to do it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Then we started doing summer schools. We had the six-week summer school experience we did for over 25 years. Hmm. And that morphed into a gym and CrossFit center. And and we built the 61-unit apartment complex because we said, God, how do we be how do we be present in this neighborhood? And what do we do that would speak to people so that they would realize God loves you? And so we were trying to—we we struggle with trying to have a balance between the— proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel because you don't want to just tell people about Jesus and they never see anything right you want them to see the two together because that's what Jesus did and he put those two things together and so that became the essence of Emerald City Bible Fellowship and Urban Impact interesting you know Harvey um, having grown up in the church um, you know, and I look back in my mind, you're you were kind of a pioneer in the sense, at least in in my mind, in evangelical circles. Because when I was growing up in an evangelical church back in the '60s and '70s, the mindset, at least back in the Midwest, for us was though that's kind of a social issue. That's right. We need to proclaim the gospel. That's right. And and uh, you know, some of the mainline churches. We're doing that, and, right. and they were uh, the evangelicals were kind of frowning they were. on these people. You know, they here were. they are taking care. You know, it's a social gospel. It's this. It's that. Now, as you're sharing your story, I, I'm thinking about the churches that that I've been involved with with the last few years. I think about uh, Bethany Community Church up in, in where they're so involved with the community and That's with right. uh, with the school across the street mm-hmm. and and assisting and being involved in the community and now the church that I attend up in up in Everett and they you know they have a 2020 vision of of local community efforts that where the church is present in Beautiful. the community you know and and so I I've seen and and you can maybe share a little bit more ab- about how you're seeing the evangelical mm-hmm. church as a whole beginning to embrace what you started 32 sure. years ago which are starting to get away from the dichotomy that either you'd speak the gospel or you do the gospel. Mm-hmm. One group would make sure you had housing, you had health care, you had clothing, but they wouldn't necessarily tell you about Jesus. The other, like evangelicals, we've got to make sure you say the magic phrase, I believe in Jesus and I receive him, but we left him hungry and destitute. Mm-hmm. But Jesus in Matthew 4, 20, 
uh, 23 basically said that the scripture says he went throughout all the, the region and villages preaching the gospel and healing all who were sick and diseased. Matthew 9, 30, uh, th- 34 says the same thing. He went throughout all the region preaching in the synagogues about the kingdom of God and healing all who were sick and diseased. And you see this beautiful picture of Jesus proclaiming the gospel and then demonstrating the gospel. And now we're seeing churches who are who are starting to not separate that anymore. Mm-hmm. But but we have to be careful that we don't do one or the other. It's both and. You need two wings to fly. Right? The church needs two wings. We need to be engaged in practical ways in our neighborhood and in the lives of people in our communities. But we also need to remind them that God loves them with a love that cannot be measured. And and if we can do that, we will see some dynamic change happen in our in our communities. We'll see the transformation we so long uh, desperately long for, I should say. And I'm seeing more and more churches wanting to do that. Yeah. They're, they're waking up going, oh, no, no, it's not just a social gospel because the gospel itself calls us mm-hmm. to meet the needs of people. Jesus left heaven, came to earth to meet us where we were. Yeah. Amen. He touched us. He healed us. He raised us. He, he touched the blood. He, he fed us. He, he did it all. And he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. You know, as I think about some of those interfaces that happen, like in the public schools or in the public squares, there are times that there is not necessarily the ability to necessarily proclaim verbally the the message of the gospel. But I think about my friends who are chaplains who often talk about the fact that the important thing that chaplains are taught is just the very presence of them being there to be present can have impact, and and not that we want to minimize the proclamation of the mm-hmm, gospel mm-hmm, verbally, right. but oftentimes we don't have the privilege of doing that, that's but right. yet by the presence and the activity of being involved and, and integrated into that, uh, the life of a school or, you know, can make a, a big difference, it does. can it? But, but let me tell you how it works for us, because we, we honored the fact that we could not proclaim the gospel on a school campus. Right. Right, we've done ninth grade support group. We've done homework centers for high schools in our neighborhood, right? And we honor the fact that we couldn't, but we built a bridge between that campus and our place. Mm-hmm. And so we would have young people come down on Wednesday night, be involved in our youth group, or we've got again the gym that's happening, or we've got CrossFit that's happening, or we've got the hip hop thing that's happening, or we've got this is happening. So we have other ways to meet them where they are, and then we take advantage of those opportunities, sure. then to proclaim. So we're we're being wise about it. The Bible says what? Be wise as as, as, as a serpent. serpent and harmless as a. And, we, as and so a we're sheep. being wise because yeah. we don't ever want to cross people. We want to be a blessing to people. Mm-hmm. So we're wise in what we do. So when we're on campus, we don't try to Shanghai people and say, "Hey, you gotta you gotta follow Jesus now." Mm-hmm. No, we 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 look for occasions to bump into people, and in our bumping into them, we get an opportunity to share with them. And so we're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit because we're cultivating a sense of God's presence everywhere we go, every day, right? Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then God tells you when it is appropriate to to share. Tell me a story. Tell me a tell. Give me an example of somebody who who's been touched here in the last six months, a year, two years. Tell me a story about uh, someone who has been impacted by. Uh... Uh, we started with helping this young family. Uh, needing some help with some siblings, some cousins or something. And eventually they got involved with tutoring. Then they got involved with our kids program. And then I think somebody, 
uh, something happened and they needed some money for something, and we were able to get some help to them. And as a result, this young lady comes to Christ. Hmm. She's in college now, and she is singing our praises big time. Yeah, She did a video for us, and she just talked about how we came around her and we loved on them. And we weren't pushing and forceful, but because we were present and available, she eventually started coming to our youth group. Mm-hmm. And as she came to the youth group, she started hearing the message. And it, and it warmed her heart. And it, it also, I think, put a flame under her mother as well because her mother started walking with Jesus a bit more yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful thing to see how those two work together in God's time, right? So if, uh, if someone's attending a church, uh, whether it's evangelical or mainline, and, and they want to begin to see that happen within their church, mm-hmm. or maybe their church isn't open to that, how, what would you suggest they do? Can they get involved with Urban Impact or others that are doing uh, what you're talking about? Yeah, I think you are right, Chuck, in that there are a number of other churches who are starting to see that, hey, we can combine these two things together. Look for those places where you can volunteer, and then just begin to pray for your place. You know what I mean? And you can ask a question every now and then. What would it look like if? I'm always asking people, help imagine with me. Hmm. What what would it look like if we were able to do X, Y, and Z? If we touched people in this way, what do you think might happen? To, to spur people's imagination, right? Because we're people and creatures of habit. And if we've not seen it, we don't think it can be done. But once you see it, you go, oh, I can do that. Why do you think the young men want to be the next LeBron? <laughs> or the Steph Curry, mm-hmm. because they've seen it, or the next entertainer, because they've seen it, or the next uh, fashion designer, because they've seen it, or the next business person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got a friend, he grew up, his dad was a business person. He was flying in helicopters from building to building. So he got this idea, oh, I can be this. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Right? And so if you're in a place where it's not happening now, number one, you have to you have to pray because God has to stir us all. He has to prepare the ground for it. But we can just start asking questions that would stir people's imagination. What would happen if we were able to touch somebody on a school campus? What would happen if we were able to put together whatever this thing is, right? We kind of, we wanted to address gentrification in our neighborhood and people were having to move out. So we said, what would happen if we built uh, this apartment complex? Mm-hmm. And so almost six years ago now, we built a 61-unit complex and lord willing we're going to do another one here in the next couple of years really? as well wow because again we're trying to we're trying to ask god how do we be a blessing in this neighborhood mm-hmm. and in doing so people take notice of you yeah they go oh you're part of that i i, I heard about that thing over there you is that your are you are you at the gym yeah the gym is ours what church and gym church and crossfit church and summer school church and yeah and all we're trying to do is try to love the community. And we tell them, God loves us, and we're trying to love you. Our, we do a Thanksgiving dinner every year. We don't have any room for it anymore. Hmm. And people come in droves. And all we do is say, we're just doing this because God loved us first, and he wants us to love you. So this is a demonstration of God's love for you through us. And, uh, and, and we had uh, a number of people commit their life to Christ in that dinner last Thanksgiving. Yeah. And we're looking forward to it again this year. Well, Harvey, uh, we're speaking with Harvey Drake. He's the pastor of Emerald City Bible Fellowship and the president of Urban Impact. We've got about one minute left. And as we wrap up, I'd just like for you to pray. Sure. Pray for our community. Pray for those who want to be involved and just haven't uh, gotten off their chairs yet. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
And let's just do that, okay? God in heaven, we thank you because you're the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And one of the prayers you give us to pray is in John uh, 9.35, that we pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. God, I just pray that you would move us again. Help us to see you in a fresh way. May we be inspired to love you the way that you love us, God, and then be inspired to represent you and to reflect your heart and passion to those all around us. Touch people, inspire people, grow them, God, and, and bless them. We need you now more than ever before. We ask all these things in your son's strong and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you want to reach out to Pastor Harvey Drake, you can go to emeraldcitybiblefellowship.org. His contact information is there. Pastor Harvey Drake, thanks for joining me today on Heart of the City. Glad I could be here, Chuck. God bless. been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.